Welcome to your upfront moment. We're building a confidence revolution. Hi friend, welcome back. This week I am joined by Aisha Ofori, the founder and the CEO of Propel. A known expert in the financial, investment and property sectors, Aisha's career has always been centred on helping people to build wealth. In 2019, Aisha launched Propel Network and the Black Property Network, communities that focused on women and minority groups respectively, democratising property investment and helping those who need it most to build stable financial futures. And then in 2022, Aisha pivoted Propel Network and started Propel, a female-focused investment platform with financial education at its core. Aisha's story is extraordinary. From her student days of loving maths, being a physicist, deciding to learn how to be a pilot, right through to her role at Goldman Sachs, managing a portfolio worth half a billion pounds, walking away from that big corporate job with a big paycheck. Her journey of building this incredible platform to solve problems that make me furious. The pension gap, the gender pension gap is double the gender pay gap and we are not talking about it enough and confidence is such a big part of the story. Confidence is one of the biggest hurdles to women building financial wealth. This conversation is for you if you want to start to look at your money mindset, the inherited beliefs about money that you hold. If you want to learn how money grows, no matter your level of financial sophistication, you will get value out of this conversation. Aisha gives us really concrete advice on how we can start investing for as little as one pound. Aisha is bold, she is fierce and she is building something brilliant. I hope you love this conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Let's go. Welcome to Upfront Moment, Aisha. How are you today? I am well, thank you for having me. Of course, we are both showing up as mothers with curly children who are off school, causing us all sorts of sleep deprivation and chaotic juggles. So I'm happy that you are here, that we're here together. And I would love to begin with you and your story. Who are you? What is Propel? Tell us everything. Yeah. So, I mean, as you said, you know, I am a mother. I've got two young kids who sort of, well, not sort of, who do keep me very busy. I say Propel is my third baby, but I'll come back to that. But I guess as a person, it's always interesting to sort of think about how you describe yourself. I mean, for a long time, I was an investment banker. And that was sort of how I described myself. And I guess even before that, I would describe myself as a physicist. And I still am to some extent. That never left me. So started off as a physicist many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. Then I became a banker, was in banking for the best part of sort of 10 years, spent some time at business school as well. So did a two-year MBA program, which was phenomenal, very, very life-changing. So glad I did that. And then after that, I finished business school, I went back into banking and I joined a firm called Goldman Sachs where I was an ultra high net wealth advisor and I stayed there for for several years, for just over six years. And then I left Goldman 
I had my first daughter. And at that point, I knew that I wanted to to work for myself. And I did a sort of a few different things back then, but it all led me to the culmination of where I am today, which is the founder and CEO of Propel, which is a female-focused investment platform. So our whole mission is about helping women to invest confidently and build long-term wealth because as women, we're very good at saving, but not so good at investing. Or it's not even that we're not so good at it. We just don't do it enough. Actually, the data says that when we do do it, we're very good or if we're better than men. It's just that we don't do it enough. And then because of a whole myriad of factors such as, you know, the gender pay gap. So we have less money to start with. If we do have children, we tend to take time out of the workplace you know, as relatives get older, we tend to be the ones who become the carers who may take time out again. Later on in our own lives, the menopause also means a lot of take time out and we live longer. So all in all, we have less capital that has to stretch further that isn't being invested. So it really wasn't surprising to me when I, I learned that the pension gap or the gender pension gap was 40% in the UK. So it's actually double the size of the pay gap, but doesn't get anywhere near as much airtime. And for me, it was sort of like, well, why isn't everyone talking about this? You know, what's going to happen to a lot of women when we sort of get to retirement age and figure out that we don't have enough, you know, to either live comfortably or in some cases not have enough to at all to sort of get to the ends of our life. And I would speak to a lot of people about it, but eventually, you know, sort of made the decision that I was going to build something to help women address the gender investment gap, address the pension gap and to help women build, you know, long-term wealth. And that's what Propel is. It's, yeah, it's a roller coaster. I mean, I'm sure, you know, running your own business as well. It's quite something. I think there are not really any words to really describe it. It's sort of like once you're in it and you're doing it, you know, I'd liken it a bit to like having a baby before you have a baby, you know, you can read all the books and I remember doing so, but nothing quite prepares you for what it's really like no matter what you read. And I say running a startup is a bit similar. I would concur with that conclusion. And I love your story, that moment of deciding, I am going to build something to fix this. Just always Mm -hmm. gives me goosebumps. It's like the best, the best moment. And one of the things that you and I have talked about, and I guess where our worlds collide is confidence because confidence is a really big part of women's relationship with investing and building wealth. From your point of view, where do confidence and finance come together? And why do you think it's important that we talk about the confidence piece? I'd say the confidence piece is probably one of the biggest hurdles that prevent a lot of women from either investing at all or investing, I say, sort of meaningfully in the way that they need to. What we found is that most women that we have come across lack investment confidence. So they don't believe they have the knowledge or that they know enough. And the interesting thing is that we have a whole different, whole range of women who are members of Propel. And from women who work in finance, from hedge fund managers to senior women in banking, they also tell us they don't feel confident which initially like, how on earth is that possible? You're finance experts, right down to people who've never come into the finance world. And they also say that they lack the confidence that I could understand a bit more. But when I really thought about it and we drilled into it, what it was telling us is that it's more about how the women feel inside. It's not necessarily a reality. 
So for example, one of the things that we do at Propel is we have a comprehensive suite of bite-sized sort of money and investment related courses to really break things down and make it easily digestible. And what we realized is for some women, they like to go through the content just as a sort of tick box exercise to give them that sort of feeling of confidence. So actually they know it or they knew it already, but going through it, help to build their confidence and then for those women who perhaps didn't know it they are actually learning but that's also building their confidence as well so what we found is it didn't really matter what somebody's sort of what I call financial sophistication level was the financial education piece was just massively important in terms of helping women build confidence in terms of them feeling like they understand the sort of terms the content all around sort of investing and then I'd say there's a second layer to it as well The second piece of confidence or lack of confidence that I've seen is just beyond the sort of knowledge part is just sort of doubting ourselves and sort of like, oh, should I be doing this or is this the right thing? And I think that comes from what I what I call sort of money mindsets and inherited beliefs. So it wasn't until sort of fairly recently, you know, that women could buy property on their own without their husband's permission and and various things like this. And I still think that there are a lot of these what I call negative inherited traits or money beliefs that can be passed down through generations. And we absorb them or have some of them and we're not necessarily even conscious of it. So to give you a specific example, my mother is absolutely paranoid about having debt, any kind of debt to her debt is a terrible thing. At the first point she could, she wanted to pay off the the mortgage on her house. She doesn't believe in credit cards, doesn't believe in anything like this. And I grew up like that. So I actually got credit cards and things like this quite late. But the the problem with that is if you don't have any debt at all, you actually can't get a credit score or it's very difficult. So then when you actually do need to buy certain things, it can become challenging. And a credit card is a great way to start building a credit score. Obviously, you know, you, you need to make sure you're you're paying everything off each month. But that was a sort of inherited money belief that I took from my mother that I didn't shift until quite late. And there are so many more of them. And I think a lot of us have these and sometimes we're not even aware of them. And they stop us from having confidence that I think would otherwise be there. Yes, I think that mirrors my experience as well. And it's so interesting what you say about the courses and the learning experience where there's a psychological process that has to happen so that we can tell ourselves, well, we've done the study We've done the learning, so now we're prepared. Mm -hmm. I think that's, it's a bit of a placebo effect. And I think the other thing that we have at Propel is we're very focused on community. So we run on three pillars, financial education, community and investments. And the community part is equally important because what we've realized is just that women being around other like-minded women who have started investing, who have dipped their toe in, that also is a massive sort of driver in those women who maybe aren't doing as much or who haven't started dipping their toe in as well, just being around other women also helps to boost their confidence. So actually, when you think about it, I'd say pretty much our two first pillars are all around helping women build confidence. Because what we realized is if they do not feel confident, they will not invest. It doesn't matter if you give them the best investments with the best risk adjusted returns that's out there that one can find. If women don't feel confident, they will not move forward and invest their money into these things. Whereas with men, they're more likely to jump in and they'll figure it out later. Or a lot of men actually 
do feel confident and it's not necessarily based on anything but they're like yeah I've got this yeah I'm sort of moving forward and then when you actually drill down and you ask them some questions you realize that the knowledge isn't actually there but that hasn't stopped whereas with women it's very different so confidence and that that is you know something that we really really focus on helping women to build let's rewind a little to your confidence because I'm really curious about your journey in your early career being deep in this world of wealth management, property investment, high net worth individuals, a very male dominated, I guess, London centric place. How did you navigate that? And how did you find the confidence to excel in that arena? So that's an interesting question. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot, actually, because this question comes up and I sort of been really self-reflecting to try and yeah, understand myself a bit better. And I'm pretty sure it's my mother. She was pretty much a single mother. Um, my dad was around, but, you know, lived separately. So my mom pretty much did everything herself. And she is a force and she's absolutely phenomenal. She raised me and my sister. She worked multiple jobs to send me and my sister to fantastic schools. And she doesn't take, <laughs> she doesn't take shit from anyone, basically. And I think just growing up around that in that environment and seeing her kind of just forge her path through despite the various different adversities that she would face as a single mother, as a black woman. I don't even think I appreciated it until much, much later. But yeah, that has to absolutely be where it comes from. And I think if you ask my husband, he'd say the same thing as well. He said to me once, he's, he said, you know, it's funny, you know, when we were dating, he was obviously getting to know me, but he said, I really understood you when I met your mum. And I was like, oh, what does that mean? But now I get it. So for me, I grew up with a sort of can-do attitude. You know, if I work hard, mm -hmm. I put in the motivation, the determination, I can do things. And I refuse to let people hold me back or, in fact, anything kind of hold me back. I really sort of go for things. And I remember, to give you an example, I think I was at university and I was having a chat with my mum once and she sort of made an offhand remark about, oh, you know, I've got two girls. If I'd had a son, you know, I would have liked for, for him to have been an airline pilot. And I remember thinking at the time, what the hell? Like, I can fly planes. Why do I have to be a boy to fly planes? And I signed up for the university air squadron. <laughs> and again, another example at school, I've always had a love of maths. Numbers just comes really, really easy to me. And I was deciding at university, do I study maths? Do I study physics? And somebody said to me, oh, it's probably better that you study math. More girls do that. There aren't really many girls studying physics. It's, it's more of a boy thing. I was like, what the? Right, where do I sign up for physics? And that's what I did. And then I got a, a four-year degree with a master's in physics. With banking, it was a bit different. Being very transparent, I went into banking because I wanted money. I had a lot of debt. I'd taken out a student loan. My plan actually had been to do a PhD and continue in studying physics. I really, really loved it. But I, again, I had a conversation with my mother and she sort of said, okay, it's coming to the end of your degree. You know, what are you going to do? Do you want to be a doctor? Do you want to be an accountant? Do you want to be a lawyer? You know, all of those, I guess, jobs that to her meant that you had made it. And I was like, mm, well, no, I want to do a PhD and study some more. And she says, but what's that going to do? And how much does that pay? And and she's like, but what do physicists do anyway? And she kind of, I guess, highlighted to me that I had a lot of debt, no money coming in. I was still living at home. And she's like, you have to get a job and you need to start being self-sufficient. So 
I was like, okay, fine, I need a job. And, and the, the way that I got into banking is I remember it was one lunchtime and some of my friends were rushing off somewhere to, you know, companies would come on campus and do seminars. And they're like, oh, come to this thing. I was like, well, I've got nothing else to do. It's lunchtime. And they were giving out free popcorn makers. So giving away my age here. This was before you can buy popcorn in a bag or things like this. This was when you actually had to buy the seeds and pop them yourself. So I was like, yeah, I'll go get my free popcorn maker. And it was a bank called Credit Suisse. And initially I thought they made cheese. I had no idea what they did. I knew nothing about banking. But during that sort of hour, the thing I took away was we pay well, we're looking for smart people, particularly physicists and mathematicians. You don't need to know anything about banking. We'll teach you everything you need to know. So then I was like, okay, yeah, this sounds like what I need at this point in my life. As I said, I knew nothing about banking at all. So I remember going back home, Googling investment bank, like top 10. And I literally just applied for the top 10 that Google gave back to me. And then I got into all of them. And then I had to make a decision on which ones I wanted to go and work for. And, and that was sort of how I got into banking. But I mean, just sort of circling back to your question, how did I navigate the landscape and things like that? I think, again, it's just my personality. I am the sort of person I'm very driven. I am happy to face challenges head on. I don't shy away from a fight. I don't look for fights, but if you want to pick one, fine, I'll, I'll defend myself. And I think with banking it takes a certain type of person not type that's not true I was thinking about this recently as well I think there are several types of people who fit well in banks and I happen to fit I feel one of those types quite well and the thing that Goldman Sachs do very well actually I've been thinking about also recently is that they hire these types of people very well and it kind of makes sense because you may have heard about the stories of interviewing for some of these banks you can have 10 20 30 40 interviews and it sounds pretty intense but now I understand it. They really are very good at identifying certain types of people. And I think that I just have that sort of personality that can work well in that sort of environment. Now, it doesn't mean that I necessarily loved it all the time. Just being very frank, it can be exhausting. Not it can be, it, it does get exhausting. But I know how to hold my own. And I know how to sort of forge a path to kind of get where I was going. That said, with all the will in the world and all the motivation and all the determination, there are certain things about myself that just are, that I wouldn't want to change, but that have meant that there are certain hurdles. So being a black woman does mean that I face certain challenges in the world. And it, I think it's the same in a lot of sort of scenarios. But for example, when I was at Goldman Sachs, there weren't many senior black women. So it meant that there weren't local role models that I could look at to say, okay, or to sort of have mentors or how did you forge your career, et cetera, et cetera. I think a lot of people might not realize the implications of that or what that means, but it does have an impact. And I guess at the point where I came to leaving Goldman, I remember my boss at the time, I got on super well with him. He was awesome. And he sort of said to me, look, why are you leaving? Like your career is doing amazingly well. This doesn't make any sense. And I said, well, there aren't any people who look like me. So it makes me wonder what happens to them. There are lots of people who look like me behind me at a lower level, but at that time, none above me. So where do they go? What happens? And he was sort of like, you know, you can be that person. You can forge it. You can be a senior person here, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, look, I absolutely believe and back myself. So yeah, I'm pretty sure I could, but it is going to take a hell of a lot of effort, fight and drive even more than I've already had to put in to break whatever glass ceilings are there. 
I could take that energy and effort and put it into something of my own. And I think I could have much greater impact and I'll be able to impact many more people. And that's what I did. I chose to leave so that I could set something up. And exactly what I thought at that time is happening. With Propel, we are impacting everyday women and positively impacting their lives. We're helping them to make their money work harder so that they can not just have more freedom and choice for themselves, but also provide for the generations that come after them. There's just no better satisfaction than being able to really impact people in that way and to be able to see sometimes on a day-to-day basis just how much people appreciate and value what you're doing for them. What a story. I wonder if we can look more at that period of deciding to leave the conversation with he's trying to persuade you I'm sure there was other people in your life trying to persuade you saying why are you making (laughs) this crazy ass decision (laughs) because you're on this incredible path and now you want to go do this very high risk thing which you've never done before I guess it's the classic tale isn't it when people around you think that you're making a big mistake and often that can have an impact on our own confidence and our own self but am I doing the right thing what if it doesn't work out so talk to me about that period of time and it's clear that you have a very strong grounded relationship with yourself and I think that's for folks listening I think it's such a powerful example of what kind of unshakable confidence can look like in a person where there's this and it's not that it's not sometimes not difficult or hard or self-doubt appears or imposter syndrome appears but there's a foundation that can't be rattled of you knowing yourself and you knowing that you have the drive and the ambition and the talent and the skills to make it happen so talk to me a bit about that time when you were making that decision what the people around you were saying what your self-talk was I think um, everything you alluded to is true. My mother was mortified. She's like, why on earth would you want to do this? You've worked so hard, you know, school, you've got great grades, A-levels, university, you've got this great banking job. And, you know, people would give their right arm or whatever the saying is for this. Why would you walk away? And I think it was even worse because I was in wealth management. The way the business works is that I had to go out and find new clients. So people I didn't know, persuade them to give me a lot of money. At Goldman's at the time, the minimum account size was 10 million. In order for somebody to give you 10 million, they need to have a lot more than that because very rarely will they give you everything that they have. Altogether, I ended up managing just over half a billion pounds. All of that money that I brought in from clients, all of these people I, I didn't know. So to get people you don't know to trust you enough to give you money that they've spent the best part of their life building up takes time and it's really quite unique. So I spent years building up trust and building up these relationships with people. They then trusted me enough to give me this money to manage for them. And then I was to a lot of people just walking away from that. And nobody, my mother couldn't understand it. A lot of people sort of close to me couldn't understand it. And it did impact me because I started to guess myself. Maybe they're right. What am I doing? I'd say the other thing is that Goldman are very good at building a community. And I, it's not it's not like across the whole firm, but within the firm, you find your group. And I've noticed this, not just with me, but pretty much everyone I know who's worked at Goldman. My husband used to work at Goldman. It's exactly the same for him. So you find your group and they're your people. 
and they actually become your life people. So now some of my best friends, godmothers to my children, I met at Goldman. So you feel part of this community. It's more like a family. But then also, I think what happens for a lot of people, your identity gets tied up in all of that somehow and in the firm. So it's sort of like, if I leave Goldman, who am I? For the last X number of years, I've been Aisha Afouri, you know, wealth manager Goldman Sachs. And that, to me, meant something. Then I was like, right, if I leave, I'm Aisha Afouri. Like, who am I? Like, I had to do a lot of, spend a lot of time sort of thinking like, oh gosh, like, is this the right thing to do? Like, if I leave, I don't even know who I am. And what if it doesn't work? And then I have these sort of people whispering in my ear that I'm making a terrible mistake and I'm wasting all the years that I kind of put in. So I took my resignation letter to work for about three weeks every day. And when I come home, my husband would say, have you resigned yet? I'm like, no, not today. I'll try again tomorrow. The day that I did it, I literally just chucked the letter <laughs> on my boss's desk and ran away. I don't want to have conversations. I know what he's going to try and do. He's going to try and change my mind. I don't need any more people making me doubt this. I just need to do it. I felt in myself that I needed to do it. No matter how hard it was and how uncomfortable it felt, I knew I had so much more to give. And I just felt it would be more impactful doing that outside of Goldman. But it was incredibly hard to leave. The good thing that happened is that the day after I'd resigned and I told all my clients, one of my clients offered me a job and he's like, I should come and work for me. And I said, but I have no background in what your business is. I can see what would I do? He says, I don't care about that. He's like, well, find your role. I just want you to come and work for me. And I sort of said to him, look, I really appreciate that. That is very kind. The answer is no. Now that I actually have left, I need to find myself and go along with my gut feel and what it is that I think I need to do. But him just saying that boosted my confidence massively because I was sort of like, I've only been unemployed for a day. If someone's already offering me a job already, then I've kind of got a safety net. Then it means I'm employable. So actually, I don't need to be afraid. I don't need to be scared. I can go ahead and do this. And if it doesn't work out, I'll just get another job. But it took that to make me realize that. I think the visual of you running around with this letter in your bag for three weeks is like something we'd see in a movie, right? And then you're like giving yourself a pep talk in the mirror and running up and throwing it on the desk. But it's also such a helpful glimpse into behind the scenes because... It is really easy for folks listening to look at you and to hear your story and think, you know, Aisha is so strong, so fierce, everything's figured out, constantly sure of herself. And the reality is that that's not true for anybody. We all all. have these moments of self-reckoning and questioning ourselves and needing a boost from an external source you know whether it's that man that offered you the job or a piece of feedback from a future potential customer or an investor or even just somebody mirroring back to you your brilliance I think these things are often we underestimate the power of those external forces in those moments so let's get practical because there will be folks listening agreeing with everything you're saying but thinking, I don't even know where to start because the idea of even filing receipts makes me feel a bit sick. What are the tips? What are some actionable, accessible things that women listening can do 
to start to slowly build their confidence when it comes to their finances. And, you know, I'm asking this question in a context of many, many women being in an economic crisis, really struggling to make ends meet with the childcare crisis, energy bills soaring. You know, there's lots of different factors that mean people are struggling at the minute with their finances. Where do we start? So I say there's a couple of things. A lot of people think that in order to invest or to start investing, you need to be wealthy and you need to have a lot of money. That just isn't the case at all. So for example, there's a type of investment account that I think is actually quite a good place to start called an ISA, but not a cash ISA, stocks and shares ISA. And you can open one from as little as a pound. When I say that to people, the next sort of question I get is, okay, but I mean, what's the point of that? If I only have a couple of pounds, what is the point of investing it? It's not going to change my life, so I might as well spend it. Actually, the thing with investing is you really get the benefits of what's called compounding. So effectively where you earn returns on your returns over the long term. And the way that money grows is actually what in maths they call exponential. So it grows very steeply rather than a sort of like a gradual line going up. So even if you only invest a small amount, if you do it consistently, but over 10, 20, 30, 40, ideally more years, you will be surprised at how much that money can grow to. So what I often say to some women is there are some online calculators that let you do this. Just play around with it, put in a few numbers and and see. And then often what happens is, oh my gosh, if I only put in, you know, this much, but I did it over 20, 30, 40 years, it would grow to that much. Wow. Like I could actually do something with that. So I say that's the main thing. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to start with a lot of money. The most important thing is that you start and that you try to remain consistent. So you have to start and stay invested, but also it's important to have a long-term time horizon, right? So when we think about investing, It's not for, you're not investing for your immediate needs. Whatever your immediate needs are, that money you should ideally have in cash. Investing is for the future, for the long term. And so I'd say, first thing, think about why you might want to invest. What are some of your goals? It's always much easier to get to a final destination if you know where you're going and why you want to get there. So what is it that you might want to achieve in the future? For some women, it's I want to be able to go part time, but have the same level of income so I can spend more time with my kids. Or you might want to pay for your child to go to university or whatever it is. But try and really sort of articulate to yourself what your goals are and then just pick one. It can become very overwhelming quite quickly if you're like, oh, my gosh, I want to do this and I want to do this, etc. Just pick one to start with. And then the next thing is just to try and get a sense of, okay, well, how much do I need to accumulate to reach that goal? And in the Propel platform, we have a tool that helps you do that. You literally just plug the numbers in and calculates it all for you. So it shows you, right, here I am today, and this is where I need to get to. And then I'd say the next step, once you know what your goal is and you know the sort of end destination, is then just immersing yourself as much as you can afford to, as much as your time allows you into an environment where people are having conversations about money and investing. Typically, it's a taboo subject. You know, as women, it's not really something we talk about. We have to change that. 
we should all be talking about what investments either we're invested in or what we've heard or what maybe we know some other people are doing just to normalize those conversations. Because when something feels normal and it doesn't feel alien, we're more likely to want to do it. So just start having those conversations. And then if you're like, well, who do I have those conversations with? Just start with people around you, even though that might not necessarily be the things you normally talk about. Just say, oh, you know, have you heard of this thing called ISAs? I listened to this podcast, this lady Aisha Afori mentioned an ISA. What is that, for example? And also there are communities out there that you can join. Uh, Propel, we have a community, but there are lots of others. Some are female focused, so specifically focused on women investing. Have a look at all the ones out there, see which one really resonates with you and, and start joining some of those, whether it's an online webinar where, you know, if you don't feel comfortable at the beginning, keep your camera off until you, you do feel a bit more confident or it could be an in-person event. Yeah, there are places that you can go just to start making things feel more normal. Once you start to feel a little bit more confident, I'd say the next thing you must do is to start even if it's with a pound, whatever that number is that you can afford, just start. And the reason why is because once you've started, that's a sort of psychological hurdle that you've overcome, but also you'll start to get more information about the investments. And it gives you an opportunity to start reading. And if there is anything you don't understand, there are places that you can go to start getting comfortable with it. Because what we've seen is that, and this goes back to what I said earlier, for most women, until you feel confident, you're very unlikely to invest in a meaningful way. So all these little things that I've just mentioned are about starting to build up that confidence. Brilliant advice. And I would say for folks listening in who are global bonders and in the upfront community, that is the perfect place to start to have some of the conversations that Aisha is recommending you have you will hear me say time and time again I want you to talk to each other about how much you earn I want that to be a normal conversation that you have with your peers with your brothers and sisters with your neighbors especially with your colleagues and it's such a simple idea but yet we are so conditioned to drown in awkwardness at the very idea of it and it was really interesting to discover when I moved to Sweden, and I don't know if you know of this, Aisha, it's maybe got like a fancy financial name, but they have a model in Sweden where you can find out online how much everybody has paid for their house and how much they earn. That's like public information. Wow. Yeah, I was really, my mouth hanging open, like could not believe that they have that culture, but yet they are very far behind the UK when it comes to salary transparency. The norm is definitely not the norm to put salary bans on job adverts. And they absolutely do not talk about money on average as a kind of cultural norm. But yet they have access to this data, which I was, yeah, found really interesting. So yes to all of those things. And I love that you have given us a really specific example of a stocks and shares, Isa, you know, as little as one pound can make a difference. And I didn't know about those calculators where you can put the numbers in and see how it will compound over time. We'll put Propel's Wealth Mapper in the show notes as well as links to Propel all of Aisha's details so that you can dig more into this world. So before we check out, Aisha, I would love to ask you the question I ask all of our brilliant guests, which is when we upfront achieve our mission of supporting a million women with their confidence, 
how will the world be different from your vantage point? Oh my gosh. I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday because I was at an, an all-female event and I was sort of saying, you know, imagine if as women, we weren't held back as much as we are with various things, just how incredible would the world be? We would be unstoppable and the world would just be better in so many ways. And I think yeah. this ties into what you just said. I think if women, if we were more confident, I think we would be pushing ourselves more in many aspects, particularly in careers as well. I say it's not just down to confidence, because obviously there are sort of glass ceilings of and course. things that are holding us back. So it's not just about needing more confidence. But I think that it also helps to change the generation that comes after us. And I think we will get there. It's just going to take more time. But it's important that those generations that come after us are equipped with the confidence, that belief in themselves, and that they don't necessarily have some of the doubts and things that we have. Otherwise, change will take longer. But when we get there, I think just so many things will, will run so much better, be more efficient. I think as women, we're particularly good at, you know, thinking holistically about others, sharing information. So people always say, oh, Propel, you only help women. Like, how is that fair? Actually, women are great sharers. So we're actually indirectly helping the families and it will benefit partners as well. And I think that trickles through into lots of different areas. But particularly important that I think as women, when we become more confident, we can also help the generations that come after. My eldest daughter is six and people have told me that, you know, she's a force as well and she's six. And even when it comes to investing, you know, she lost her tooth the other day. Tooth Fairy gave her some money and I said to her, oh, you know, what are you going to do with your money? She says, I'm going to invest it, mummy. I said, oh, okay. And I said, why are you going to invest it? And she says, well, if I invest it, then, you know, when I'm bigger, I'll have even more money. And I said, okay, well, yes. what are you going to do with all that money? She says, well, I'll buy things. I'll buy what I need for myself. And I just love that independence, that confidence that she already has. I love that. I love that so much. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you for the work you do. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Upfront Moment. Before I say goodbye, I want to remind you to follow Upfront on Instagram and join the other 5,000 women all over the world who get our weekly newsletter. Go to weareupfront.com to find out more. Bye friends, I'll see you on Monday for your next Upfront Moment.